you're listening to the Overtime Ireland American Football Podcast. Brought to you in association with OvertimeIreland.com. Now, here's the OTI guys. Hello and welcome back to another Overtime Ireland American Football Podcast. Very exciting show to bring you today. It's myself, Colin, back again on my own. But on today's show, we're going to have... Let's go call him a, a guest host, I guess we'll call him. I talked already with Matt Money-Smith. We talked for 40 minutes about all things NFL, all things NFL draft mixed in with it, and lots of different little uh, topics that we covered along with some of the listeners' questions. So I'm just going to get him on straight away in a little moment, and uh, then basically that will bring you our entire show. So as always, we shout out to our pals over at Last Word on Sport and uh, their great website and all the stuff they're doing over there, lastwordonsport.com. Their Twitter handle is at lastwordonsport, and they are our partners and have you covered for all sports, as I always mentioned. If it's your first time listening to the show, hopefully you're going to enjoy it. And if you're a long-time listener, hopefully you have hit that subscribe button on whatever you choose to listen to the Overtime Ireland football podcast, whether that is iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, Player FM, whatever it is, even if it's on the overtimeireland.com website. Do subscribe and that will get that podcast to you each and every time there's a new episode coming out. And that's usually once a week during the offseason, twice a week during the season. So really, that is me covered with all the talking to start the show, all the plugs out of the way. And let's get Matt Money-Smith from NFL Network on the show now and uh, talk all things NFL. The OTI Red Zone, presented by OvertimeIreland.com. Delighted to be once again joined on the podcast by Matt Money-Smith, of uh, as many you'll know from the NFL Network. Uh, he's traveling into the NFL Network now, I believe, so uh, thanks for taking the time to talk to us, Matt. Absolutely, yeah. I am uh, literally traveling to NFL Network to do uh, today's TV show, Mock Draft Live, with Daniel Jeremiah and Charles Davis and Bucky Brooks, and uh, I think today... We're going to be talking a little Marcus Mariota and all these trade rumors. And uh, if I get a little frustrated, pardon my anger because I am uh, traveling on the busiest roadway. I don't know if it's in all the world. It certainly is in all of America, uh, the 405 freeway. Yeah, I suppose uh, there'll not be too many uh, motorways or roadways busier than those in the States. Uh, Being over there quite a number of times, it can can get quite, uh, the blood pressure can get quite high while driving down some of the freeways over there. So let's hope that we uh, don't get any accidents during the podcast and uh, the football talk will be all good. See, there it is. That's an example right there of why you're so much better than we are. To call it a motorway or a roadway (laughs) is so much more glorious than a freeway. You guys got it all figured out. Yeah. Oh well, we have to be good. We have to be good at something. News have got the football, so uh, we'll we'll keep to the the road terms. Uh, Matt, obviously, there there's uh, a lot of stuff. Well, not a lot of stuff, but there's bits and pieces coming out over the last week. Troy Palomalo retired last week, and uh, I'd be interested to get your thoughts on it. Obviously, played 12 years with the Pittsburgh Steelers, one of the best at his position during that time. Your thoughts uh, on him stepping away from the game? Yeah, uh, you know, I have a I have a very unique, I guess. Uh, perspective on Troy, the guy that I do my radio show with every day, I do a four-hour radio show here in Los Angeles, uh, Petros Papadakis was Troy's, I don't think they were ever roommates, um, I know he hosted Troy at UFC when he took his visit, Troy's uncle, Kennedy Polamalu, uh, who brought Troy in, he was not a big recruit out of high school, um, came from Oregon, and Kennedy was the running backs coach at USC, and my, my radio partner was the was one of the running backs there. So he got to know Troy very well, and in turn, I got to know Troy a little bit because he would come on the show from time to time, um, you know, and do interviews. And, and he and we got to see him a little bit, you know, behind the scenes, off camera, and he is every bit the guy that he is 
in those conversations that you see publicly uh, in the upfront events for the Steelers doing the charity work. He is without question one of the most benevolent, you know, not just football players, but people I've, I've ever had the pleasure of sort of knowing, uh, of being an acquaintance to. Um, and it, it's remarkable. He is soft-spoken. He has that high-pitched voice, um, very unassuming, off, you know, off the field, God-fearing guy, uh, likes reggae music, and then he puts that plastic outfit on, and man, <laughs> good luck finding a fiercer competitor that wants to knock your head off every time he steps on the football field. And, you know, just, I, I guess, to maybe give Len some unique perspective for, for people that, that don't know, you know, like I mentioned, he wasn't a, a big-time recruit, and, you know, he could have played any position. I mean, that's that's how good of an athlete he was when he showed up at USC and they realized what they had. Uh, and they really kicked around the idea of playing him at running back, and they finally settled on safety. And, the, you know, people say, oh, wow, fortunate for him. No, that, that's just how good Troy was. Like, if they would have made him a running back, he would have ended up rushing for, like, 2,000 yards in college and, and gone to the NFL and probably been a Hall of Fame running back. That's how good he was, just what his remarkable football instincts were um, to just kind of know where the ball was going to be or where the play was supposed to go. And, uh, you know, he's we don't see a lot of safeties in the Hall of Fame, and I'm not a big Hall of Fame guy anyway, but good luck convincing me that that's not one of the 10 best players that we watched over the last decade. Yeah, and, you know, a lot of people have been talking since he retired about, you know, probably the best of his generation. But when you think back, between him and Ed Reed, he might have been at times the second best in that division. Two great safeties that were playing over the last kind of 10, 12 years. And uh, I think both of them will definitely end up in the hall. But, uh, you know, as you say, sometimes you have to wait a little longer. Sometimes you get in. But I think these two guys should be at the, the front of the list when you're looking back. But, you know, you mentioned there, I've seen different uh, programs with him. And he's so soft-spoken and, you know, he's so quiet. He just he doesn't look like a guy that... When you see him out there with uh, number 43 on and hitting people, <laughs> he just uh, seems like a completely different guy. But you mentioned there is instincts, and I was listening to another show and they were talking about, where, you know, if you put in his top 25 plays that he ever had in his career, you'd probably say, that's the best safety to ever play the game. And if you put in his worst 25 plays, you'd probably say, why is that guy still playing? Sometimes there was, there was with the, you know, you mentioned his instincts, there was that little bit where they give him a freedom to roam, and if he got it wrong, it was very wrong, and if he got it right, it was amazing. Yeah, and that's and and I think what people may you know not recognize. Not that I'm some sort of all-knowing football mind, but <laughs> you you have to earn that. Coaches do not give you that yeah. right. You know, it's it's something that is earned, and he earned that at USC, and he earned it with the Steelers because they're not going to let you keep guessing. Like you said, if there are more of those 25 plays where he got it wrong than 25 plays where it was spectacular, and I think. Look, most, most often, you know, it's a good play or it's a solid play or it's a play that got away. And then you get the end of the spectrum, the great and the horrible. Um, and that's, you know, that's what happens when you are a, a gambling type of defensive player, be it a, you know, defensive end that's always just putting your hand in the ground and hauling after the quarterback and trying to sack him. And then you get burned for a 50 yard run by a guy that's two feet away from you. Um, that's just the kind of player he was. And I think, like you said, I mean, it's, you can have the argument about Ed Reed or versus uh, Troy Polamalu. I don't think there's any wrong answer there. I mean, like they're clearly the two best safeties of their era, and to try to you know get into a verbal match, you know, sparring match about which one was better, I think is fruitless. Uh, you want to take Ed Reed, great. You want to take Troy Polamalu, great. I'm comfortable <laughs> taking the other one, and let's both go to camp and hang out in the front row, right? Yeah, yeah, and uh, obviously as well, um, Ike Taylor stepped away as well. Uh, he came in the same year as Troy Palomalo, and seen a stat that since uh, the two of them were drafted 12 years ago, 
the uh, the Steelers have basically led the league in the majority of statistics defensively with the two of them. So there's two pieces going. You know, their play, you can say, has dropped off in the last couple of years maybe, but uh, still going to be two leaders of that defense are going to be very hard to replace. Do you think now with obviously free agency kind of has been picked apart, you think they're going to try and replace those two guys uh, through the draft? I think it's like any sport, you know, a football even more so. When you have a dominant program, um, dominant, I'm speaking in college terms, when you have a dominant team yeah. that's been on top for so long, you know, you do everything you can to keep that team together, and you have to make financial decisions, especially at the quarterback, that will impact the rest of your team. And by going to, you know, the Super Bowls they went to, by winning the two that they did, you know, that's that's just kind of the, the nature of football, they, that the team gets old. And uh, you have that window, you go after it in that window, and then you have to rebuild. And unfortunately for the Steelers, you know, some, and, and who could have seen the world thing coming? But, um, you know, some swings and misses are probably going to hurt them a little bit on, on that side of the ball. You know, that, that is one of the best drafting teams, much like the Giants and the NFL. But they kind of run on, on a bit of a streak here where they're, they're chasing it and they're trying to get some, some draft picks right. And I think they're, they're headed in the right direction. And this is certainly a deep draft defensively. No reason why, you know, they can't start to rebuild with, you know, maybe their first couple picks here defensively because offensively with Antonio Brown, who's yeah. arguably the best receiver in the league, you know, they're pretty, and Le'Veon Bell, they're pretty well set, you know, the skill positions. Yeah, last year they took a few rookie wide receivers too. And, uh, you know, I think that there sets them up to, to kind of go more defensively. Anyway, they probably had this, you know, from last year in particular, they probably thought that that was probably going to be Palomalo last year, likewise with Taylor. So they're probably looking ahead to this draft, and I think that's the way it's going to go. And uh, you mentioned there, you know, with uh, quarterback contracts and so on and other players that you have to start to draft for those different positions. Well, a team that, you know, they've signed another player here to quite a big contract is the Dolphins. They signed center Mike Pouncey to a five-year, $50 million contract with $20 million guaranteed. But, you know, then Dominic and Sue coming in uh, in the off-season with his big contract, and now Tannehill's a deal that they're trying to get done. Were you surprised at the amount of money that was offered to uh, Mike Pouncey? No, because I, I think, any, you know, some people assume that you have to have a left tackle to, an, to, to anchor your line, and you do, you know, especially if that's protecting your quarterback line side of his throwing right hand, and no question, but... When you have, I think any time you find an anchor to the offensive line, you know, we saw it with Hutchinson with that giant deal they gave him. Um, you know, when you find the anchor and this is the, you know, this is the linchpin to our offensive line, that guy is always going to be compensated handsomely. And in the case of Pouncey, I don't think there's any question that he is that anchor, um, that, that he is the guy that, that will make that offensive line go, even if it's at a position that is not considered a premium position on the offensive line, either the left or the right tackle, but we've seen guards get paid a healthy amount now, and we've seen, you know, happen in Seattle. What? They're paying a guard. How much? They're drafting a guard in the first round. It's, I, think, I think it's different now, and certainly when you have someone that you think is arguably the best, or at least in the conversation to be the best center in the league, he's going to get paid some cash. Uh, likewise with his uh, brother as well, and we were talking about Pittsburgh's brothers down in Pittsburgh as well. There has been some off-the-field concerns with them, um, was there, you know, when you're giving a player $20 million in guarantees, does, does that come into it as well? It does, but I, I think they try to measure, is this immaturity or is this reckless behavior? Yeah. And, and I think in the case of Mike, it's he would probably yeah. more towards the immature. Yeah. And, you know, I, I, I always, look, I, do I like the crap that he does? No, it's, it's annoying and he should know better, you know, but 
you know, you, you kind of keep forgetting that these are dudes that live in bubbles. For people that aren't around college football or high school football, for that matter, when you're an elite player, you know, it, it's, it really is remarkable how much, especially if you don't come from a background where you have, and I don't know what, what Pouncey's background is, so I'm not trying to say this is, you know, regarding him individually. I'm just speaking to football players. When you're in high school, you're told what classes to take, where to be, what time to eat, you know, not as much as when you get to college. When you get to college, people don't realize, as a, and, and this isn't just for football, as a Division One athlete, you are handed a schedule, and you live by that schedule, and you don't just live by it alone. There is someone there, if you're as good as Mike Pouncey is, to hold your hand and take you to class and wait outside that class for you, and then they take you to dining hall, and then they take you to study hall. And I think once they get spit out by that university into the real world, yeah. it's they're kind of looking around like, wait a minute, where's where's my ride? Where's that person that's going to tell me where I'm supposed to be? And I think it takes a minute for them to, you know, and any missteps they make in college oftentimes are covered up, especially if they're just trifles. You know, and, and I think there can be a very harsh reality that hits them quick. And some of them can adjust and some of them take a little bit longer. So I'm always sort of hesitant to judge guys on, on issues of immaturity. Yeah, that's a very interesting point as well, the way you mentioned that they're kind of almost babysat through the, the whole schedule throughout college and so on, because these guys are coming in, some of them are only 21 years of old, twenty-one years of age, maybe only turned 21, and you know, it's a big step uh, when you're only that age to be getting all this money, getting all this attention, and it can be hard to deal with it, and as you mentioned as well, if you're not having to kind of live and deal with everything yourself, if everything's kind of getting handed to you, it can make that transition very difficult, and it'll be the same, there'll be pairs coming out in this draft that people will say, oh, he's just not dealing with it and he's not doing this and not doing that. But that is why it takes some of these guys into their second, third, fourth year to really, as they say, get it in the NFL. Yeah, I think the best, maybe the best analogy I can make is, you know, for for listeners that, that went to college, imagine, you know, that you live in a strict household and you had a curfew and your parents checked your homework every night and then you went away to college they never checked on you again, and somebody handed you $10 million. <laughs> and, that's, and that's really what yeah, it that's is. Pretty much. So, I mean, that's, that's, that's kind of what these guys have to deal with and navigate. Um, so when, when, it, when it goes sideways, I think about what would have happened to me when I, because my parents were that way, they, they were on top of me when I was in high school, determined to send me to school on a scholarship. And, you know, if someone would have handed me a million bucks and I show up in Malibu, California, I would, I would be, I'd be dead. We wouldn't be having this conversation right now. Yeah, yeah, so it's going to be interesting to see that. But when we mentioned as well, I mentioned the contract to Sue, now the contract to Pouncey. There has been talk coming out this week that the Dolphins want to get Ryan Tannehill signed up as their quarterback for, for the long term prior to week one. We've seen Andrew Luck had his option, uh, you know, done. So he's going to be with the Colts for that extra, that last year of his rookie contract. And Tannehill come out in the same draft. Are you surprised that they're not just going to do that option with him rather than sign him to that long term deal? Or do you think they think they're going to get a, a long term uh, kind of discount, kind of like what the Packers got with Aaron Rodgers all those years ago? Yeah, it's a, it's a great question. I think it's a tough one. I really do, because I, I don't know about Tannehill yet. I mean, there have been moments where he's looked great. Uh, there have been moments where he looks okay. I mean, I think that, and I say that because they're, you know, you're looking for quarterbacks that don't have a lot of those, man, he is terrible moments. Yeah. And I don't think we have that with Tannehill. We have a, yeah, he's, he's, he's a starter. He's one of the 32 best quarterbacks in this league. Uh, how good is he? Is he in the top 15? Can he get in the top 15? And that's probably where they're at. You know, here, here we are in, in year four. Can he make his way into that top 15? Do we have a chance of finding somebody better in the next two years if we decide to pick up the option? 
information if someone comes in and offers them $150 million. And that's, it's, it's a tough thing to weigh. And, you know, I, I think the one thing that maybe people kind of, it's lost on some people when they see the contracts is kind of forgetting the big picture. And that's how much money these teams are making, yeah. you know, and, and how big these TV deals are. Yeah, that's how going to get salary cap. Because, you know, the salary cap is just tied to those deals and yeah. the gross profit. And when they keep going up, yeah, $100 million deal to Matt Stafford seems crazy. But then when you see the salary cap's going to jump to $190 million, it's like, yeah. okay, it doesn't seem so crazy now. So, you know, I, I think that's probably what they're what they're struggling with in Miami is, you know, look at some of these. And, and I think when you look at some of the deals that have been done, like the Colin Kaepernick deal, um, where there is some guaranteed money, but there is some wiggle room there for teams to walk away and having a lot of the money tied up in annual salary, um, where it's not as big a hit if it doesn't work out. I, I, and I think that's maybe something that's that's important, you know, to, to understand. And it took me a while to kind of figure it out because you hear because we're not used to it. It's just sort of new. You know, you've always hear, well, if you made a bad first-round pick and you were picking in the top five, it was death. Well, it was. You know, it was financial, you know, and free agent debt for, for a couple of years. But that's not the case anymore. Your draft picks don't cost what they used to. So now you have cost certainty with, you know, however many guys you've drafted, let's say, in the first three rounds. And those are pretty high, you know, high-expectation players. If if things go wrong on Ryan Tannehill and, let's say, they have to eat thirty million dollars or forty million dollars, whatever he's guaranteed. Well, it doesn't. It doesn't matter because a. I mean, it does, but it doesn't. A. The team is not in any sort of financial trouble. That's mm-hmm. not going to prevent them from handing one hundred and fifteen million dollars to Indomitian Sue if they have to eat that. And B. The salary cap, like I said, tied to gross profits, is going to go so high that making a mistake like that is going to matter less and less as we continue to move forward year after year. Yeah, the thing you mentioned there, Kaepernick, I thought that was interesting. That's what I was thinking about prior to you mentioning it because he had such a big come-out year of the year uh, that in the playoffs that he, you know, he ran all over the Packers. Then he had a big year where he got to the Super Bowl uh, the following season. But you know, he, he seems to have regressed last season. We'll see how he does this year. But Tannehill last year, I think it was, they, they played in London against the uh, Oakland Raiders. I think it might have been week six of the season. And just prior to that game, there had been talk about him possibly being even benched at that stage. And he had a big game against the Raiders. They, they wiped him out in Wembley. And from that point, he kind of never looked back. But, you know, you can sometimes, when we're watching these sports and with social media and that, one week you can be the best player in the league, the next week you can be the worst player in the league. And sometimes we're the players get rewarded so quickly that the, the past is kind of forgotten about once a few good performances do go in. Yeah, I, yeah, I think you hit it right on the head, you know, that, that you know, and I don't buy the, well, we were just trying to motivate, right? No, you weren't. You got a competent backup, and you were thinking about making a switch because your owner is very impatient, and your head coach is probably going to get fired if yeah. you have a, you know, 6-10 and 10 season. Um so I think that's one thing. Is you're right. They did question whether or not Tannehill was the guy, and they could afford to do that again because of this rookie contract situation. They say, you know what, we screwed up. We took a swing. It didn't work. We're going to keep trying to find that quarterback for us. Um, that it did work out speaks to and, and why they would give him this deal just speaks to fear. You know, the idea of okay, if if we don't re-sign our own guy and somebody else believes they can do something with them, we've seen enough good from him that if he goes to fill in the blank, you know, the Jets, I mean, just think about in their own division, teams that are looking for quarterbacks, the Bills and the Jets, he goes to one of those teams because Todd Bowles or Rex Ryan thinks he's the guy and they offer him so much money you don't want to match. Uh, or maybe he becomes an unrestricted free agent and he goes out, you know, in two or three years 
then what do you do? So they a lot of times they're just operating out of fear. Yeah, it's kind of what happened with the Bears, I suppose, last season. But speaking yeah. of quarterbacks, there's a, a lot going on on social media, on the NFL Network as well. I've seen it in the last few days. Uh, I was talking about it about two months ago when it, it was first kind of rumored, but Philip Rivers, the Chargers, there is that thing with, you know, maybe the Chargers are going to L.A. Uh, and then Philip Rivers doesn't seem to want to go. The Titans have that number two overall pick, and the, the Chargers have met with Marcus Mariota this week. So uh, just to get your thoughts on that there, um, a few people tweeted and uh, to see what your thoughts on that one were. Is there a possibility of that trade going down, do you think? Well, gosh, I've got so many thoughts. I'm going to try to make them concise here, so I'm not rambling. Um, but I do have a conspiracy theory, and that is that there was not a whole lot of heat around that number two pick and Marcus Mariota. I mean, you had guys, you know, that I work with, Daniel Jeremiah, Bucky Brooks, yeah. had him slip and down to the Browns at 12, to the Bears at 7. And, you know, there's this relationship that Philip Rivers has with Ken Wisenhunt. It started out a bit rocked because he didn't like how long Philip was holding the ball. He wanted him to get rid of you know, He wanted him to be the next Kurt Warner. I think adversity followed by success breeds a very unique relationship, and those two are very close. I'm not saying that Phil's trying to help his guy out by because this was unbeknownst to the Chargers. They were like, "What? What is this? Philip Rivers doesn't want to move to L.A. Phil, you don't want to move to L.A. You live in Orange County right now. You live in Santa Luz. It's 35 minutes from Qualcomm. I promise you, move to Orange County and Shady Canyon, and you drive to L.A. It'll be absolutely no different than than where you're living right now. So that I don't buy that whole. I don't want to move to L.A. He could move a hundred miles from where he lives, and there are there are subdivisions that he can live in, gated communities like he lives in right now that you wouldn't believe he actually moved. It would look like the same house with the same neighbors in the same neighborhood. So I I don't know if this is, you know, Philip maybe trying to help Ken out a little bit, uh, because now there is, you know, that that pick is going to be Marcus Mariota. Someone's going to trade that pick to get that guy. Um, And it it did not feel that way six weeks ago. The other thing is it would be so hard to make that deal. Uh, for the Chargers, one, they got to figure out an Tennessee has to figure out an extension. Two, they've got to figure out what the compensation package is going to be because if you decide and and you've got teams like the Bears and the Jets or the Browns that all want to trade up to get this guy, they're going to be offering multiple firsts. They're going to be offering multiple picks, and you're offering a 33 year old quarterback, you know, that, that's had back issues, that's looking for a contract in the neighborhood of 100 to 115 million dollars. So that's got to get taken care of. There's got to be a physical, you know, a, a, a Tennessee team, you know, a Tennessee uh, Titans doctor has to run the physical because if you trade a draft choice for Philip Rivers, you don't get that back. Yeah. You know, if it goes wrong and, you know, after the draft, you don't get to take Marcus Mariota from the Chargers if the physical goes wrong. <laughs> you know, you would just get the Chargers pick next year is how they would do that um, in order to, you know, to kind of try to balance this thing out. So it just doesn't seem like there's – there's reality there that that Philip Rivers, you know, can be traded with the right amount of compensation from 17 to two to get Marcus Mariota in a Chargers uniform. It just seems like there's way too many moving parts there. Yeah, and it's something as well as you mentioned with somebody would have to kind of a look at Rivers and you know make sure everything's all right with him physically and all that. Uh, it's not something that could happen. It's not like a draft day scenario. It's something that would have to happen before that so we're looking at kind of nearly a two-week deadline to get that done if it was going to happen you mentioned there that yeah and you know what i don't mean to interrupt no, you, but then, and, and i think also just common sense okay he's going to be an unrestricted free agent at the end of the year if he really wants to day. go to tennessee um okay we're not going to tennessee's not going to win a super bowl this year <laughs> even with philip rivers yeah. so 
why not draft Leonard Williams or Fowler or one of these guys that can have a huge impact on your team with that number two pick? And then just sign Philip Rivers without having to give up any competition. Yeah, next season. Year. Yeah. No, that's, a, that's a very good point. But you mentioned there that you think that you know that Titans pick, somebody's going to trade for it to get Mariota at two. Do you think he will go at number two, or do you think there, some of the mock drafts have him slipping down the board, you know, down to maybe 12, 13, 14? Uh, you know, I have a bias. I'm on the West Coast. I've seen a lot of Marcus Mariota. I've right. called a couple of his games. I, I think he's a special player. I do. I, I know. And, and I think what happens is because this spread system has gotten its knocks and some players have come out of it and not performed, it's just not fair. You know, Jameis Winston, of all people, Jameis Winston is the guy to put it back when he was sitting on set at the Combine with Marcus Mariota and the, the path to the draft crew. And they asked about making a switch to a pro-style offense and getting under center. And before Marcus could even answer, Jameis jumped in and he said, enough of this. This is a guy that was asked to run an offense, a specific offense that his coaches wanted him to run. They give him those plays. They asked him to be successful with those plays. And you could argue that he did it at a higher level than anybody in the history of college football. Yeah. So why is there a problem? What is the problem with someone that was asked to do something and did it at the highest possible level? And that's a fair point. Now, you know, the counterpoint is you don't run that system in the NFL. The guy would get killed, get broken in half if he ran that much. And players are never that wide open in the NFL. So it is a bit of adjustment, but he's a smart guy. We now know the Wonderlick scores. He's an athletic guy. He's got a big enough arm. They ran enough pro concepts at Oregon that you can see being asked to go through progressions and operate an NFL-style offense. He's plenty capable. So I would be I would be wildly surprised if he doesn't go with the number two overall pick unless the Titans just decide Leonard Williams is the best player in this draft and we have to take him. That's yeah. the only way I yeah, and if the Titans do that, obviously it might slip a little bit, but not much, much further. But when you mention there the Titans, what is uh, your opinion on the Titans just not taking Marcus Mariota with the second overall pick themselves? It, I think that's just look. If they're married to Ken Wisenhunt, then it, it makes sense. He's so not a Ken Wisenhunt mm. guy. You think about the success that he had, Kurt Warner, Philip Rivers. You know, even with Zach Mettenberger last year, he wants big, tall pocket passer, just take the snap, pull the trigger immediately. Snap, throw, snap, throw. And and I think the question for Ken Wisenhunt is, can Marcus Mariota be that? He's certainly tall. He's certainly got a big enough arm. So can you make him? And, and I think the reason why you don't take Marcus Mariota in that situation is he's too good of an athlete to limit him to just standing in the pocket like a Philip Rivers or a Kurt Warner who don't have the athleticism he does. Um, and, and I don't know if that's, you know, if, it, if that's a condemnation of Ken Wisenhunt that he's not willing to bend to somebody as talented as Marcus, or he's just not as comfortable. And he believes the system worked. It took the Cardinals to a Super Bowl. It took the Chargers to a playoff win in Cincinnati and nearly to an AFC championship game. And he's just, you know, that's what he believes works in, in this league. So it, it doesn't surprise me that if, if Ken, Ken Wisenhunt's their guy and they think he's going to be their head coach, you know, like Jeff Fisher was for a decade and a half, then give him the quarterback that he wants, and Mariota's just not that guy for him. Yeah, maybe he likes Mettenberger. Maybe they're going to go with him because he was up and down last year, but he did show some glimpses. And uh, 
you know moving on to a team that uh, looks like maybe they found their quarterback in last year's draft the Oakland Raiders they signed Mike, Michael Crabtree to a one-year contract kind of some incentives then that can push it up to a little bit more value from his side but I'm sure when free agency opened he was expecting you know to get a long-term contract get a lot of dollars on the table and it it really didn't materialize for him so kind of come down to the Dolphins and uh, the Raiders I think he, he thought he'd probably get more playing time with the Raiders so he's gone that way but you know he led the league last year in drops we all know Kaepernick had his issues last season uh, do you think that uh, the Raiders are a good fit for him? Hard to say. Um, I would love to see somebody a, a little bit more of like a polished route runner type of, of wide receiver for, for Derek Carr, for a young quarterback. Yeah, they may still the draft Amari yeah. Cooper. You know, they, they, they may be they may decide that he's exactly what they need. You get Crabtree, you get a you know Amari Cooper opposite him, um, and that works. So. It, it, they had to do something, you know. They, there was such a lack, just a dearth of talent at that position for them last year. You know, great Streeter, okay, fine, James Jones, whatever. You know, they, this is a passing league, and you're going to need multiple wide receivers. You're going to need a lot of talent at that position if you're going to succeed. So, look, that's a it's a good deal for somebody. My, Michael Crabtree. You know, I tell people there are two there are two receivers that I watched play college football that I got to see in person, you know, in calling games, that it's something that just wowed me. One, I mean, like, really blew me down. And, and, and look, I never got a chance to see Des Bryant or, or Calvin Johnson in person in college. But so Big Mike Williams at USC would do things that it just seemed unfair. Like, this isn't fair. This is, this is a man playing with boys out here. And Michael Crabtree's hands, the strength in his hands where – you would see cornerbacks and safeties just draped all over him, and he would snatch balls out of the air, which is funny because you talk about drops. Yeah. He's got such strong hands. And I don't know, you know, in, in Crabtree there's been, you know, character questions and chemistry questions in the locker room, and is he a really tough guy to get along with? That San Francisco situation just seemed untenable, you know, between general manager and head coach last year, you know, with Balky and Harbaugh. And I just, I, I think, I think it's a good gamble is what I'm getting at to take a one-year deal, no long-term commitment on somebody that was that talented of a player in, in college, had to deal with some injuries in the NFL, but still showed flashes of being a legitimate number one receiver. Yeah, and a player as well who, if he wants to get that long-term deal or get more money, he's going to have to prove it this year. So it, it could work yeah. out very, very well for the Oakland Raiders. And uh, Crabtree as well, he had that Achilles injury two years ago. He went on his best run of his career prior to that uh, when Kaepernick came into the team first. But do you think that there maybe he's holding him back a little bit? He was never really the, the fastest guy, but maybe that slowed him down a little bit. Yeah, no question. I think that's a that's a real tough injury for any you know any Anybody, sport, yeah. any player, but uh, especially for you know that sort of quick twitch explosion that you need to you know get out following the snap. The, the shit. I mean, you know, it, it, it's one thing if you're going to be a possession receiver, um, but you know, Crabtree is always kind of prided himself on not just being a possession receiver, but a big play receiver. And, and I would assume and. You know, I'm not a doctor, so I don't know how far we've advanced with medicine and, and Achilles tendon repair surgeries and whether or not you can get close to doing what you were able to do. But in the past, we just haven't seen that. So I, I think it would be crazy to say that it doesn't have an effect. Last couple of questions now before we wrap up, moving on to the, the Cleveland Browns. And they have two first-round picks in this year's draft. Uh, a lot of people wondering what they're going to do. There was a good few questions in on Twitter. There's a, a good few UK Browns fans uh, that got in touch with us, and they were wondering, you know, two first-round picks. I've asked a couple of guests on what they thought they should do, and obviously the Browns have multiple needs, and they thought that they should use both picks. Do you think there's any chance of them packaging them to try and pick up or even maybe drop back a spot on one of them to, to try and gather up some more picks later in the draft? 
it's, it's such a tough team to figure out. I mean, my gosh, what a hot mess. I mean, just a hot mess that that team is. And, I mean, you know, you're talking about less than a year ago or, uh, you know, yeah, you've got Johnny Manziel, who's going to be the savior, and he sells more jerseys than anybody else in the NFL. And, you know, clearly he had problems. There were enough people that knew he had those problems when he was coming out of college, yeah. and the Browns decided to, to roll the dice on that. I, I would be really surprised um, to see them trade both those picks off to get Marcus Mariota, um, unless they are absolutely 100% convinced that he is going to be one of the five best quarterbacks in this league. If that's the case, then you say whatever. You know, we traded Trent Richardson for the pick that we took Johnny Manziel. Trent's already basically out of the league. You know, he's already on his third team. He's suing the Indianapolis Colts. So whatever. That was, you know, that was a risk we took. It didn't pay off. You know, who cares? Here we are. We're ready to try to get it right. I don't think I'd have a problem with that. If they wanted to sell that, that they believe Marcus was that guy. Like you said, if you want to trade back, you've got the multiple picks. There's, you know, it's a great class of wide receivers and pass rushers that someone might want to jump up to 12. If one of those players is sitting, maybe someone decides to take a chance on Randy Gregory at 12 and they want to jump up there and get him. Maybe Vic Beasley, because of the smaller frame, slips down a little bit. Someone decides they want that specialist. I mean, there's a lot of different things that could happen at that number 12 pick that I could see a team want to jump up. Uh, and get the, you know, even the wide receiver position, let's say it's Devontae Parker, you know, or maybe Amari Cooper has slipped or something along those lines and someone wants to jump up and get them. Yeah, I could totally see them sliding back because they do have multiple needs. You know, for the Browns, the key is getting that first round pick to, to, to work. You know, when you think about Gilbert and Manziel yeah. last year and, and you go through, you know, their first round picks Trent year Richardson. after year. Yeah. yeah, it's, you know, Trent Richardson and, uh, you know, I mean, with the exception of Joe Thomas, I mean, my goodness, we're we're really rolling through a lot of players here over the last five, six years. Yeah, yeah. They drafted in the first round that just have not panned out. If I were, you know, and, and this is what the best the best teams at drafting, they yeah, it's the cliche, but they're the ones that actually do it. You you draft the best player on your vertical one fifty. Those one hundred and fifty players that you have ranked, whatever that number one guy is, when it is your turn to draft, that's the guy you take. Because you can never have too much depth. It is a violent sport where players get hurt, and you're better off drafting the person that you think is really, really, really good at what they do. Yeah, it always seems to be that that happens. Uh, the player seems to fall into the lap of the Baltimore Ravens. Seem to do that every single year. And uh, but when you yeah. when we talk there about uh, Johnny Manziel, obviously they took him ahead of Teddy Bridgewater and Derek Carr, who we talked about earlier doing it over again. Is there any chance that they would take Manziel over both of those guys? Oh gosh, no! Yeah, I mean, I think, it just it, looks it, such, twelve months removed. It looks so, such a bad choice overall. Oh, I don't think I don't think the Jacksonville Jaguars. Now they can say they would. I don't think they would take Blake Bortles over Teddy Bridgewater. Yeah, well, that's true too. Such, you know, yeah. when people when people talk about how oh, this whole combine and pro day and it's all for nothing, that's not true. Teddy Bridgewater was the number one quarterback, and I credit Daniel Jeremiah. He had him as his number one quarterback at the start of the draft process and at the end of the draft process. But so many other draft pundits, and certainly that's not just guys that are talking heads on TV, but in NFL front offices, they hammered Teddy Bridgewater for his pro day. Absolutely hammered him, and that had a major impact on the draft. So to say that they're, you know, that these things are worthless, and who cares about pro days? Well, I can tell you who cares about pro days. All the teams that the quarterbacks <laughs> that weren't Teddy Bridgewater. Yeah. Because they paid attention to a pro day when he decided not to wear gloves, was working out indoors, looked awkward, 
and you got all this game tape where you're watching, you know, this quarterback make remarkable plays and win games for Louisville, make every throw, lead his team back from deficits, and they chose to ignore it because of a bad pro day. So I don't, I don't think there's any question that the Browns would take Teddy Bridgewater, and, and I, re, I truly believe that the Jacksonville Jaguars would draft Teddy Bridgewater over Blake Bortles. We talked about the Browns and things not panning out for them correctly. Um, they've unveiled new <laughs> uniforms this week. Uh, how do you think that uh, they've panned out for them? Impressed or not impressed? Not good. You know, I, yeah, I think the. I mean, you know, the, the funny thing with the Browns is there's not a lot they can do. Yeah. You know, with their with their uniforms, you, you know, I think you can make a compelling case that there is there is a wide spectrum on the Browns. There's the side, the positive side, where they love that they have not succumbed to modern fashion and the University of Oregon or the University of Maryland and what they're doing with uniforms, and, and they've stayed true to their tradition, much like USC and Penn State and, you know, those traditional college football programs have not bought in to the, uh, to the, to the 90 different uniforms that get the players going. Um, so... When they come up with an when they when they come out with an updated look, it's like wait a minute, I I guess that looks different. So way to go! But it's still a brown uniform. It's yeah. still the most understated uniform in the NFL. Yeah, there's a lot to be said for tradition and so on. I'm a Packers fan, so you like the traditional uniform, but you know, yeah. the Browns maybe need to jazz things up a little bit. But I, I do think it's nicer than the the previous one. And you know, there's uniforms that have got really slitted in recent years with the changes. Uniforms like maybe the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. So I think it's come out a little bit better than that. So we'll give them credit in that. But uh, hopefully, they use those two first round picks uh, better than they did last year. And uh, uh, just as we're talking here, the Aaron Hernandez trial is found him guilty of first degree murder we were talking about Pouncey earlier and you know it was on about the off the field issues that was one of his connection with Aaron Hernandez but I don't think anyone's too surprised at, at that there news coming out just to see it going across Twitter as we're, as we're talking uh, final thing a lot of people when I said that uh, you were coming on and I mentioned to a few people that were asking about upcoming guests and I was saying that you were coming on and they were wondering when uh, or if the college football 24-7 podcast is uh, scheduled returns probably not at this lit stage yeah they, you know what we are uh they they decided that because Bucky is doing so much stuff he's in on NFL everything. now, and he's doing a lot, yeah. and they just you know kind of would rather him do those sort of short burst hits um, on that platform where he can get a lot of information out to you know daily to people that want to consume it. They you know just launched Daniel just launched his Move the Sticks podcast yeah, that covers a lot of the scouting, so they figured you know let's make the college football twenty four seven. And podcast exactly that, but make a podcast about college football during the college football season, and that's just kind of the way they they chose to to go about it. Um, you know, Bucky and I love doing the pod. We would have been happy to do the pod once a week. You got spring football going right now. Certainly, you know, for those college football junkies, uh, this is a this is a time where you know you are interested in talking about college football, and there is actually stuff to get to. Um, but yeah, that's that's kind of the way they wanted to go about it, and and I'm not trying to put more on Bucky's plate than than he's already got. So, so that'll be starting uh, up again when the the college football season heads off. Then, yeah, I would imagine probably sometime in mid August we'll we'll get rolling, we'll get our previews going, um, get a bunch of those college football head coaches on, um, all the all the voices you're used to hearing around college football, and and it'll be more of a you know college football conversation. Yeah, and you can remember that uh, Daniel got his start kind of on your podcast. He has his own podcast now, which is great to listen to. And uh, Bucky's really, he's really everywhere at the minute. And I really love getting his thoughts on both the college game, the draft, and even the, the NFL. He's a great, a great way of 
conveying what he has some people can't get thoughts out of their you know out of their head into their mouth and for people to listen to he can do it very very easily so uh, as always matt it's been great talking to you as well today and uh, i think uh, pretty much we've covered everything that has gone on in the nfl over the past few days so thanks a lot for the time and uh, anyone that uh, is on a pass of the nfl network over here we get a uh, game pass so the nfl network's up on that be sure and check out matt while he's doing his thing on the on the network and have you anything matt that you want to give a plug to while you're on or no, I think, uh, you know, the with the draft here, I'm going to be doing the draft on um, NFL.com. So if you're into the draft and you want to watch every pick, every bit of analysis, you know, we'll be doing that for NFL Live, which is April 30th, May 1st, and May 2nd. This year we're going to do all seven rounds. In the past, we've only done day one and day two, but because the numbers and uh, the demand is so high, we're going to do day three as well. So I'll be doing that with Lance Zerline and, and Bucky and DJ and Charlie Casserly and Kurt Warner, all the faces you're used to seeing every year covering the draft. So that's probably the next big thing that we'll have uh, that we'll have going. Yeah, and be sure and as well, when Matt's on, be sure and follow him on Twitter. It's at MattMoneySmith, and uh, definitely worth a follow. Some interesting points be uh, brought up there, whether it's about football or not about football. But uh, as always, Matt, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thanks a lot for your time. I always love doing it, Colin. Thanks for having me. Hi, this is former NFL offensive lineman Ross Tucker, the host of the Ross Tucker Football Podcast, and you are listening to the Overtime Island Podcast. Thanks there again once more to Matt Moneysmith for coming on the show. I mentioned there his Twitter handle, at Matt Moneysmith. Basically there, I think we covered all the news from the last week that, uh, well, I had planned to talk to on my own for quite part of it, but Matt was very generous with his time, so it was a lot of fun talking with him while, as you mentioned, he was heading down the freeway, heading into NFL Network to to record some of today's programming. So hopefully you have uh, enjoyed that conversation. Hopefully you'll check him out on the network, as I mentioned there. Some of you may have seen on the Overtime Ireland Twitter feed, I tweeted out from my own personal account, which is at the Colin Kelly, that uh, training yesterday with the Donegal Derry Vipers. We've got the shoulder pads and the helmets and all set up now, and uh, first game coming up this Sunday in Derry, so it's going to be it's going to be quite physical, I'm sure. I'm sure on Monday I'll have some pain, but uh, looking forward training tomorrow night again, then game day Sunday. So never played in a, in a full contact American football game before so it's going to be an interesting experience uh, playing tight end so hopefully maybe catch a few passes and uh, uh, get a few blocks in for some of our running backs and uh, anyone that's interested in going to the game just hit me up on Twitter I'll give you more information on that it's with the, the Donegal Derry Vipers and uh, hopefully there'll be a large crowd at the game but really uh, I'll be talking to you after that there'll be no podcast prior to Sunday but uh, maybe next tuesday hopefully i'll be uh, in fine physical form and uh, we'll be back with another show so until then do keep following us on twitter it's at overtime ireland do keep spreading the word of the podcast as you've been doing doing a fantastic job leave us a, a rate and a comment on itunes stitcher tune in whatever you're listening to the podcast on download on multiple devices and until i'm back with the next show have a good one thank you for listening to the overtime ireland american football podcast Please follow us on Twitter at Overtime Ireland. Check out OvertimeIreland.com and continue to spread the word. This has been an Overtime Ireland production.